happens when you make a very bad joke on the internet and get sued. Well, this week on Download This Show, the mystery five-letter acronym that saved billionaire Elon Musk from being sued, and what does it mean for the future of both A, social media, and B, terrible jokes. Plus, the founder of Twitter has decided to make Africa fight over him, and what were the biggest and most undercovered tech stories of the year? Let's find out. This is your guide to 2019 in media, technology, and culture. My name is Mark Fennell, and welcome to download this show. Yes, we are so close to the end of the year. Oh, can you hear the pain in my voice? Uh, Mark Fennell is my name, and it is a brand new episode of Download This Show. And uh, welcoming back people who are familiar with the show but have completely new jobs. Um, <laughs> because that always happens on this show. No one stays in the job long enough for the website to be accurate. Uh, the newly minted science and technology editor for the National Indigenous Television Network, Ray Johnson. Welcome back. Thank you for having me back. And from the Bite Side podcast, a man who I don't think we get on this podcast enough, Seamus Byrne, welcome back. Good to be here. And just 23 minutes to go, Mark. 23 I'm, minutes. I'm so close. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the key is no one say anything that I have to edit and it's going to be a really fast day. Because That's not going to happen. Daddy needs to Grigio. God damn it. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, I'm going to start with defamation because that's not going to cause me problems at all. Uh, really You'll be editing this a lot. <laughs> no, because I'm going to be careful with what I say. <laughs> Although it doesn't appear to matter anyway if I say ridiculous things on Twitter uh, because Elon Musk according to a court of law, did not defame a British caver who helped in last year's rescue of a, the trapped Thai schoolboys by calling him, and I'm going to quote, a pedo guy. Uh, that's according to a US jury. Now, I read this, and the reason I talk about this is because it's about something he tweeted. And to me, it's an interesting conversation in terms of what they determined was a reasonable expectation of the way people behave on Twitter, because that yeah. seemed to be part of the judgment. So how the hell did Elon Musk win this case. I love they created a whole new acronym just for this defence. This is, I, I love it. It's called the JDART defence, uh, which apparently proves that whatever was tweeted was not a serious allegation that anyone should have believed. It's basically kind of like our version of the satirical defence mm. in a way, even though he went on to double down on it and then yeah, hired a private really investigator gets. to research the guy's private life to try to prove himself true. Anyway... What the defence lawyer ended up going with was this J-DART defence, which stands for J, joke, but poorly received, D, deleted, A, apology has been issued, and R, hang on, I've got this RT. wrong. RT, that's it, responsive tweets <laughs> yep. to move on from the event. So because Musk went straight into this uh, this, it, this is the sequence of events he did afterwards, yeah, right? Okay. Yeah, so they've given a name to the sequence of events that Musk did on Twitter following him saying pedo guy, which he put in the same vein as if you call someone a, a mother effer, you don't actually literally mean that they're having sexual relations with their mother and it's just something that people say to each other in arguments as Apparently an insult it, in South Africa. Yeah, he it's heard very it common. all the time growing up in South Africa, so. Yeah. Why is it a big deal? You know, yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's all—it's always been done this way, Seamus. Why should it change? Yeah. There was also <laughs> something in there about 
Uh, there's so many things to unpack about this. <laughs> I mean, can we talk about the fact that there was that whole thing where he went to go hire a private investigator to prove, like, yeah. like how does that not undercut the, the J-dartiness of it yeah, all? These are the two steps that really sort of blew my mind on the whole process is that because most of the media coverage has been about the pedo guy tweet. Mm. Let's but stop saying it. <laughs> there, was a, there was a second tweet where he basically said, bet you assigned dollar it's true. Yeah. Like, so that's literally the, no, I'm not joking, but somehow his defence is that, oh, even that somehow was part of the joke. And then to hire an investigator, it doesn't matter that this investigator later turned out to be a con man and therefore <laughs> probably got more money he out of fake. Elon Musk than, <laughs> you know, than the actual guy who's been you know, hit up with this. But then in an email to BuzzFeed, he literally wrote, stop defending child rapists. Yeah. You're like... This surely this sequence is the one where it's like, oh no, he he had a firmly held belief for a little while there that mm. he was on the right track. I just don't understand how he won this case. Yeah, like I get the defense. Like it's very I interesting. Do. I- yeah, I know that's what it is. Isn't it terrifying to, and horrible? I just have to feel like there's some, something more at play. Like, let me try yeah. and make sense of this nonsense. One of the things that leaped out at me was the idea that I, it it did feel like the def, the the prosecuting team, you know, that was defending Vernon Unsworth, it did feel like they were really overegging the damages caused at times, mm. and in that amazing way that out of American court cases where shortly afterwards you do get quotes from people who are on the jury because they just are able to walk out and talk about how they felt about everything. Um, One of them actually said that, um, it said the jury foreman, Joshua Jones, he basically said that. Now that is a made up name. (laughs) He is a Marvel defender. Yes. And doesn't realise it. Yeah, brother of Jessica. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Very strange. He basically said, I think they tried to get our emotions involved in it. And, you know, he was really saying that they didn't focus on the evidence as much as focusing on the emotional mm. weight of how the guy felt because of it. And there can definitely be that case where, because there was so much talk of like the nuclear bomb of these tweets that was dropped on him. I can understand how maybe some jurors get their back up a bit and going, well, I get that it, it stings a bit, but yeah. really? But did he lose his job? Were there actual, you know, was there any actual evidence that it did impact on his day-to-day Well, life. I mean, the thing, the, the the follow-up tweet about I'll bet you any dollar sign that it's true, like that could have some very real impacts, like given mm, how, yeah. you know, Elon Musk ha- tends to have a, a fanboy following that can be quite Ooh, yes. precisely. Yeah. Like, I'm going to go that, with toxic. I'm going to say toxic. Yeah, let's go with toxic. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but is that not... <sighs> Is that not making him a target, a target yeah. for big doxing, for investigations, like all this sort of stuff that you yeah. can get out of that? Like, Absolutely. How does that not Well, I think it made him a target, of- but you've still got to prove that that actually happened. So did when they- you're sitting in a courtroom, you know, you, you've got to be able to show that. Yeah, and that seems like in some ways it feels like his team did fail in that sort of sense mm. of really demonstrating here's, here's the impacts on his life, not just the here's how bad he feels because yeah. of it. And I think you know, it's also one of those things where you know, are we at a point where the wider population is taking the impacts of you know, what people say to you and how that feels and being dragged through the mud on the internet mm. seriously enough? Yeah, I, I think sort of what's... This whole thing is in, in some ways built on is this idea that the level of discourse that we have on Twitter and JDART does appear to be very much a, you know, designed for Twitter sort of defence. Yeah. yeah. Uh, 
it says something about the level of abuse that is considered as normal yeah. on Twitter. That's what it says to me anyway. Yeah. And yeah. it's this judgment, in addition to being a, a huge endorsement for the power of money, it also says to me that we have now accepted, at least based on legal precedent, that the conversations we have on Twitter are going to be coarse and abusive and that's going to be fine. And isn't that, that awful? Yeah, it's not great. Yeah. It's not, it's not, the, great, not the best thing in the world. Because, of course, deleting magically makes the accusation go away, Mark. Yeah, you can um, delete everything off the internet. Yeah. It's been proven time and time again. Ask Beyonce. Yeah, I was going to say, tell Yasmin Abdel-Majid. Yeah. I mean, I just, I, or, or any number of other yeah. people that have said yeah. things on the internet that have come back to, to haunt them. And for some reason, it um, there's one rule for one yeah. and there's another rule for everyone else. Yeah. I'm, I'm waiting for this to come into the common online vernacular. Oh, it's all right. They jade it. I actually think it should. And yeah. it should be an object of comedy. That yeah. that, did they J Dart? Did yeah. they? Have they J Darted yet? Yeah. Let's it's make it like a, milkshake it's okay now. Let's make it a thing. Let's make J yeah. Dart the milk. Yeah. yeah. It's like you see someone tweet something ridiculous and you're like, oh, they're, they're going to J Dart on yeah. this one. Yeah. Bad J, time to dart. <laughs> oh, no. I should say, if We're you're listening so to this, <laughs> I'm just going to let it pass. Uh, like a person letting off gas. Oh. Uh, no, I was going to say, like, we should explain. Uh, you made a reference to Milkshake Duck earlier. Yeah. Uh, if you're wondering what that is. <laughs> Um, yes. It's worth explaining. It's basically when somebody becomes very popular and then after a little bit of investigation, they uh, they realise that that person's probably a Nazi yeah. or a racist or something terrible. <laughs> and it was based on a comic mm. uh, where there was a milkshake drinking duck and everyone loves the milkshake drinking duck. And then in the final frame, uh, it says, we regret to inform you that the milkshake drinking duck is a racist. Yeah. Uh, basically, uh, don't become famous because everything is terrible. <laughs> Download this show is what you're listening to. It is your guide to the week and indeed the year in media, technology and culture. Uh, we are going to be wrapping up the best, the worst, the things we should have been paying attention to, the things we were paying attention to. That's coming up very quickly before we do that. Uh, just on the Twitterverse, which is not a, a thing, the Twitter, the Twitter cinematic universe would be a horrible thing. <laughs> uh, Jack Dorsey, founder of Twitter, is moving to Africa. Uh, why? Shamus. Well, because in the Twitter cinematic universe, clearly he becomes the villain. Like, <laughs> he, he sets I'm up literally his... looking at an article in Forbes right now where he's wearing a black turtleneck. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, if you put a stroking cat in Hatman's lap, only good things happen. Yeah. Um, look, so... <laughs> oh, yeah, you're like, yes, I will answer the question. Yeah, it's like actual answer. Uh, so he has just spent uh, November touring around a number of African countries, talking to different innovation hubs and young entrepreneurs, and off the back of that said, look, he really has gotten so much out of it, he wishes he could stay longer, and then basically announced he is going to go back and live there for three to six months in 2020 to spend more time. Of course, in that classic almost Amazon-like way of like, well, who's going to fight for my love? He's like, I haven't decided where I'm going to live yet. <laughs> and so now, of course, everyone's like going, please come and live near us. We'll do great things to mm -hmm. work with you in our innovation economy. I um, hate this. Yeah. I hate th I'm, I, 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 I want to confect a reason for it, but it seems manipulative. You know what it is? It's it's Jack Dorsey is eat, pray, loving him, like, oh. all around the world. He's going to find himself in, in many different places all yeah. over the globe. He and goes he and was does just his going... meditation retreats, oh. and now he's going to go to Africa. Yeah, realistically, though, when you think about it and when you when you look at it, a huge portion of the world's population currently in Africa, you know, parts of the continent are quite technologically advanced. Some 
Not so. It's, it's yeah. kind of like when Facebook went into areas that went, what's that? You don't have internet? That means you can't have Facebook. You know what we should do? Bring you internet. Exactly. Yeah. On planes and balloons and other stupid things. Yeah. I mean, no, no, you're right. And I'm probably being um, too cynical, too sarcastic about it. Yeah. Africa is really interesting in terms of like, you know, the way they've, uh, that continent, uh, not to speak about it as one homogenous thing, because obviously millions of people, different countries, different situations, but... Uh, the, certain trends like the rise in micropayments, peer-to-peer mm-hmm. micropayments, exactly. uh, cryptocurrencies, some more real than others, yep. uh, all of that, like really interesting landscape for that sort of stuff. And and that is, to be fair to Jack, the supervillain uh, wearing the turtleneck, there is a lot of really interesting stuff happening in Africa that you don't see in Asia or Europe or the US. And and maybe that is a, a perfectly good thing to want to explore. And yeah, you'd sort of think over the last five years, we've really seen a lot of, you know, the big internet companies push hard around China, India, Indonesia, sort of these high population Asian countries um, and Southeast Asian countries that Africa kind of has been overlooked in that context. Mm. But that, again, you think about the next 10 to 20 years, you know, think about where we were all at with internet services sort of 10 years ago. And then you think, well, if that development comes through fast, because again, no land infrastructure is being put in, it's all going to be wireless infrastructure, um, using all these micropayment services, all this sort of, you know, like crypto has a big future in the sorts of places where you do have more, you know, yeah, more like, uh, you know, cross-border sort of small business trade going on where there are sometimes government issues around sort of corruption and things that more peer-to-peer type services are going to be a big deal. So it makes sense to think, well, I want particularly a business like Stripe. It's like, mm. you know, which is one of Jack Dorsey's businesses around mm. sort of payments Which is the, the contact payment system, which you plug into a, a phone and it's basically like having a, a, a credit card reader or an FBOS reader plugged mm. into your phone. This is an important part of the, the technical process. Click. Yeah. Yeah. You've got to make that noise with your mouth, otherwise yeah. the payment won't go through. Exactly. It's, like one it's of actually the stats, a really weird thing that they do. Yeah, one of the stats being that 90% of African GDP is small business trade. So, yeah, there's so many opportunities there that, you know, a smart entrepreneur probably wants to be part of that. All right, you all shamed me. It's fine for Jack Dorsey to go Africa. It's probably very smart. I was it's wrong. still funny, though. It is a little bit funny. Yeah. I mean, it it's can just still a funny be deep. I like him building you know? a lair. <laughs> like yeah. A, oh, yeah. Like a Bond villain lair. Yeah. Why, why wouldn't, why wouldn't he build year. a lair? I mean, yeah. that makes sense. Does, does he not already have a lair? <gasps> I, I mean, again, I, I, I'm going to post a picture of this photo. <laughs> yeah. it just, it's just like you should have hired him for the new Bond movie One instead of, those... of Rami Malek. I think it's the oh, hair yeah. as well. It's the hair. <laughs> The hair does it. It yeah. does look like he's wearing a wig. I wonder if he's wearing his woke T-shirt uh, under that. I will note uh, there's a quite a prominent technology critic by the name of uh, Scott Galloway who had a m- mild apoplectic fit on Twitter about um, Dorsey moving to Africa. He wrote a letter to the board of Twitter saying you should fire him because he's totally not present. He's a part-time CEO. We, the whole part-time CEO thing, that's a real I mean, that is issue, an issue with right? Yeah. yeah. But when he wasn't there, it kind of... That's when it went the furthest off the rails <laughs> and he's, you know, not done much to put it back on, but, you know. I mean, I feel like the only thing that really changed is that Facebook screwed up so royally that the attention shifted <laughs> off Twitter for a while. <laughs> well, uh, you know, if, if Jack's going to Africa to help how to launch his own uh, cryptocurrency, we... You might see a repetition of it, though. And actually, that does lead us very uh, seamlessly into the biggest tech stories of the year. Uh, in case you're wondering who you're listening to, my name is Mark Fennell. 
I host this damn thing. Uh, uh, Ray Johnson is the science and technology editor for NITV and Seamus Byrne is from the Bite Side Podcast Network. That sounds about right. Doesn't it just? <laughs> I'll open it up to you, Seamus Byrne. What do you think is the biggest technology story of Man, the year? I, yeah, I really struggled to actually hone it down because I think the trade war stuff is definitely one of the biggest things around, you know, particularly Android phones now having to, Android having to drop off Chinese smartphones um, and then the reverse side of that with sort of China flexing to get its rules in place with tech and games companies that sort of reshape the rules everywhere mm. on their behalf. There's just so much of this battle for control online and this both dividing, but then also the homogenizing in the name of kind of keeping different cultures happy. So just just backtrack for me. Where are we right now? Because obviously there's been a great deal of antagonism between the US and China. China uh, are building their own brands to the, sort of the point where hopefully they won't have to rely on or, or even want US products like your Apples and Googles and whatnot. It feels like, just from my vantage point, the only people that can lose is the US. <laughs> is that is that a, is that an overly simplistic take on Actually, it? Yeah, the, what, a really big part of uh, China recently sort of talking about trying to get its software services operating internally so that they can detach from the US entirely in that regard. Mm. A lot of people are seeing that as a big entrepreneurial backstep for China because there is just so much more advancement in the open software pools and things like that at the you know at the broader US level um, that it's like relying by, entirely by on its internal capacity off, yeah. instead of being able to keep learning and keep pulling things in from the wider global economies is actually something that over kind of the next 10 years might slow down some of its software progress. Unless, of course, China goes back to its old way of really not caring about copyright in any way, shape or form. Well, also, <laughs> it just takes whatever it wants. Also, there's like billions of people. <laughs> okay, maybe not billions. But th th there's lots of people there. Mm. And that's a scale at which you can create your own internal ecosystem that might that might rival what the US did over the last few decades. I'm, I'm not... I don't know that's going to be the case, obviously, but I would imagine that they've got enough people that if they wanted to, okay, let me let me put it on its head, right? Silicon Valley, the growth of Silicon Valley, that was a largely domestic growth over, you know, certainly in its in its 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 time. You, we're now talking about a country that has much more people, yeah. and much more money, uh, and its own sort of uh, will to want to build its own technology properties. Is there an is there a reason why they can't do what the US did in its sort of ascendancy? I think one of the elements that's going to be a problem is definitely the uh, the lack of government uh, willingness to let people move fast and break things in the way that has occurred right. in sort of the more open uh, you know international markets. As much as you know, we're now starting to get to that point of having the EU and people putting in more serious rules about kind of privacy and different things. Mm. It can be a quite a different uh, environment if you're trying to develop software in an environment where people want to be looking over your shoulder and making sure that you're creating everything in a way that keeps the government on side. It'd be quite interesting uh, uh, what happens when China starts to export more of their services. Obviously, we know TikTok and things like that have, yeah. have, have their roots in China, but it'd be interesting to see what happens when uh, Chinese developed tech has to interact with European privacy laws. And I know we're sort yeah. of already there, but as it gets bigger and bigger, it'd be interesting to see. Ray Johnson, 
biggest tech story of the year for you? <gasps> Again, narrowing it down. This is ridiculous. There were so many I'm, things I'm a, that I'm happened. A tool that way. So many really fun things that happened. I'm going to call them fun things. Things like, <laughs> you know, the the launch of 5G, you know, seeing Zuckerberg's face while he scrambles to speak to Congress about, you know, his his advertising policies on Facebook and, and which I will take money from anybody. Yeah, I You're will. You're a gigantic criminal that lies. The fine. Yeah. It's totally fine. Every everything is fine. Don't look at me here. Uh, that lovely FaceTime bug that meant that they could hear you before you answered. So if someone was calling you. <laughs> oh, my yeah. God, it's right. Uh, <laughs> oh, no, so, oh, hi, hi, um, Which I think was just beautiful and stunning. But really when I think back on the year of 2019, I'm going to think about a whole bunch of YouTubers peeling the screen off a Samsung Fold. Oh, what happened? Yeah, no, 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 I don't think we properly talked about this. What, what happened in there? So the first wave of the, the Samsung Fold phones, which everyone you know lost their collective minds. These over. are the foldy, the, yeah, the screens the, that could fold. The, the foldy phones. Yeah. The foldy phones. Like, what is this? It's amazing. Stupid. It's, Stupid it's, is what it's, it it's ridiculous mm. and fun, and I can't stop doing and this. A lovely now. plastic film on the screen. A, a fantastic, lovely plastic film, reminiscent of a film that you will find on any kind of smartphone oh, screen. Oh, that's right. So you you buy a screen but, and you pull off and the then plastic. You, peel it off. you weren't meant to peel this because one off. Because it was the screen. Because it was the <laughs> screen. No. So obviously Samsung went into a panic again, as they do every time you know, something like this happens to poor Samsung who try to innovate and things oh. implode on them. Uh, and it was just this beautiful scene of all of these you know, carefully curated, you know, influencer content across Instagram and, and YouTube and actually, you know, a very few handful of actual tech reviewers uh, got their hands on it as early as the influencers did. So we all got to sit back and just kind of watch it uh, un- unfold. Hey, hey. Hey. Ladies and gentlemen, um, that is Ray Johnson, science <laughs> technology editor for our TV, nailing the pun of 2019. <laughs> what do you reckon was the most undercover story? Like, what is the story that we should have been paying more attention to, Seamus? The, the big one from my sort of nerdier side of things has probably been, you know, within, within the hardcore esports slash streaming type circles, plenty plenty of coverage, but in a mainstream sense, not seeing how, you know, the whole discussion of Ninja, uh, you know, world's biggest Fortnite guy um, getting signed to Microsoft's Mixer platform and quitting Twitch, which was where he'd sort of, you know, b- b- gone to sort of massive prominence. Then you've I'm, I'm going to get you to break that one down for yeah. me. So, so Ninja is a player? Ninja, that's right. So Ninja and Shroud, two of the biggest streamers on Twitch. Yeah, millions of followers. Uh, and Twitch is the thing where you watch people stream. Watch people play games online <laughs> on in real time. <laughs> I'm just being inclusive, yeah, you guys. On the yeah. Wide web. Thank you. Thank you. And You're yeah, welcome. <laughs> while you watch them, there's a huge community space attached to it. So you can be chatting with all the other people who are watching at the same time. Uh, and, you know, that is essentially where... An awful lot of people, 25 and younger, are spending their screen time. They are not anymore anywhere near any other TV environments. So it's become super lucrative for both those players. Um, But it's really the shift of where now the players are getting the prominence instead of the platforms. Mm. And the fact that just today we've then seen Twitch actually contract three other of its biggest streamers basically to make sure they don't jump ship as well. Um, It's quite clear now that all of these companies have realised that they need to hold major talent 
uh, if they want to make sure that their platform sort of keeps the audience coming to them. So Microsoft has its own streaming platform called Mixer. Ah, okay. ah right. Got it. Yeah. Now, yeah. And so that's where they've moved to. Um, yeah, what they do not offer is as big an inherent audience as Twitch does, what they offer is cash, cash money. Um, so that you Which go I respect. There. Yeah. I do, truly. Yeah. And, you know, for those guys, here's the big thing, right? For Shroud and for Ninja, as those sort of two first people that did this, they have nothing to lose. They get a big bank, you know, from Microsoft. Let's say it doesn't work out and they go there for six months and then they go back to Twitch if it all just kind of doesn't work out and everyone's happy and fine and they will find their audience wherever they go because they're big enough. But for those platforms, they also need enough tentpole to say, hey, why don't you, smaller streamer, come and stream on our platform too because we now have this many people here every month who want to watch games. Mm. The real winner is money. Ray Johnson, <laughs> the story, as is the lesson of 2019. Uh, the most undercovered story for you? Yeah, I'm I'm kind of in a bit of a personal security panic at the moment and I'm looking back on the year that was. <laughs> and deleting furiously. <laughs> and, and just realising the lack of calm, sensible, practical information that exists out there that people can implement into their online lives mm. in order to keep you know, their personal information safe and secure. And you know, if there are data breaches with many of these services that we're all using, that you're probably going to be okay because you know you haven't had location services turned on on your phone everywhere that you've gone this year and it's <laughs> created a map that people can easily access using a number of small websites to yeah. work out where you go every morning and where you walk your dog and all of these Frankly terrifying. So you things. found that significant locations tab, did you? Did you? <laughs> yeah, you did. Locations tab. <laughs> but I, I just really think that there needs to be more discussion about this type yeah. of thing, but in a you know, really kind of accessible way, and not from the angle of scaremongering. I know I sound like I'm scaremongering if right I, now. No, I was just thinking if only there was a chatty show with funny, smart people <laughs> talking about technology. Every, it's really an indictment of this show that we haven't done that. <laughs> Maybe we'll do that in 2020. Yeah, Mark, I you, failed you for, I was going to say the last time, but I think we all know that's, that's not true. You haven't covered this topic enough. But no, I, I think it's one of those things that when we hear data breaches and we've been hearing them all year, we go, oh, yeah, all right, how does that actually impact on me? And that's the answer, like the answer to that question I don't think gets explored enough yeah. and explained to people in a really easy to understand way so that they know that this is actually an issue. But there is also things that they can do about it. And if you listen in 2020, I promise <laughs> we will give you some of those tools. Hey, uh, that is it for the final episode of Download This Show for 2019. I want to say a huge thank you uh, to all of the guests that have come on this show. You know what? We don't pay them. So it's really nice <laughs> that they come and do it. I've asked the ABC. They do not have the cash. Uh, no, I just want to say a massive thank you to everybody that has come on the show. I love doing this show. I love having people come in and um, educate me because I am what I like to refer to as a high-functioning idiot. So to all of you that have come on the show, uh, a huge thank you and very big thank you to you, Seamus Byrne, for coming on the show this week. As a listener 
and as a participant. Thank you, Mark. You suck up the best. You really do. (laughs) Uh, Ray Johnson, thanks for coming back on the show. Thanks for having me back. And, yeah, I'm also going to suck up. Thanks, (laughs) Seamus. You really do such an incredible job of breaking down the the harder-to-understand aspects of technology and and being able to present them to people. But No, but you undersell yourself. You're not an idiot because an idiot wouldn't even ask the questions that you do. Love you guys. And, of course, I should reserve the biggest thanks uh, to you guys for listening. Uh, All of you that have supported the show and listen to it every uh, every week for god many many years it's been delightful and i cannot wait to do it again in 2020 also massive shout outs to the abc crew that uh put together the videos and make sure that everybody gets in the building belinda summer is the producer of this show andre shabanov is the man behind the video camera there's also what's his name what's his, oh yeah roy roy <laughs> rampaging roy superman uh bryce halliday is producing us today and with that i shall leave you we'll catch you in 2020 that's it but download this show in 2019